96.6% News and Weather, RTHK. Good morning and welcome to Back Chat. I'm Janice Wong and your guest presenter is Danny Gittings. On today's program, we're looking at measures to relieve pressure on the local healthcare system. A persistent manpower shortage at public hospitals means long waiting times at accident and emergency wards, with patients having to wait anywhere between two and more than eight hours. Tragedy struck on Monday when a chronically ill woman was discovered dead in a hospital toilet after waiting for more than 10 hours to see a doctor. Health Minister Lo Chung Mao says the government will look at ways to improve the situation and pointed to a new talent exchange with the Greater Bay Area that has just seen the arrival of dozens of medical staff from Guangdong. And the hospital authority says 20 medics have agreed to come to work here following a recruitment drive in London earlier this month. But are these measures enough to make a significant difference in the manpower situation? And what else can be done? After 9.45, we'll find out more about a rare partial solar eclipse that's taking place on th- today, later today. So you can let us know what you think on our Facebook page, Backchat on RTHK Radio Free. Email us at backchat at rthk.hk or give us a call. The number there, 233-88266. Now to kick off our discussion this morning, we have a Dr. Aaron Lee on the line, an emergency ward doctor, and also uh, we have Alex Lam, chairman of Hong Kong Patients Voices, and uh, we'll also be joined in a moment by medical and health services lawmaker, Dr. David Lam. Good morning, Mr. Lam. Good morning. And uh, good morning, Dr. Lee. Thanks for joining us on the program. Um, Now, Dr. Lee, I'm sure you remember we've talked about long waiting times at public hospitals on this program before. Um, What's different this time is that a patient died at a public hospital while waiting for hours to see a doctor. Um, What are your thoughts on this uh, unfortunate incident and uh, what's been the reaction of your colleagues? Yeah, uh, thank you for uh, inviting me to uh, talk today because uh, it's really a tragedy to see a patient uh, dying in the accident and emergency department of a hospital. Uh, actually, uh, we, really, I don't know uh, what happened inside that uh, incident, but uh, uh, I, I know that the waiting time for the uh, seeing a doctor in the accident and emergency department is uh, very, very long in the past few days. Uh, especially because after the public holiday, people have been traveling away from Hong Kong and coming back, and then they need uh, extra medical attention. And many of them have uh, got uh, fever, and uh, because we are having a high uh, flu season here, uh, after removal of masks, and also we are having a, a rising trend of the COVID-19 cases in Hong Kong. So it is uh, really... Uh, uh, the situation is uh, unpredictable, and uh, uh, so uh, I, I personally uh, think uh, uh, the government should uh, do something to uh, prevent uh, such tragedy to happen next time. Right, and uh, Mr. Lam, have your members yes. been uh, been affected by the long waiting time at public hospitals recently? Well, I, I, I um, constantly uh, monitor the, the waiting time of the, the and other specialist clinic uh, to see uh, uh, the line getting uh, up and down. But but uh, uh, A&E department is always uh, busy, um, uh, not just after long holidays. 
But presumably, I mean, this, this woman waited 12 hours before she was seen, uh, Mr. Lamb, but presumably she'd been triaged as a, a lesser urgent case. I mean, if you, if you come in there with uh, critical injuries, you'll, you'll be seen much faster, won't you? Well, uh, she, she was classified as a, a cat fall. It's a semi-urgent. Semi-urgent. So semi-urgent uh, yeah, is still waiting 12 hours. No, we, we, she, she waited uh, eight hours and uh, she was given a chance to see a doctor. But after uh, seeing doctor, she was advised to, to undergo a further examination. And she was waiting for this examination while waiting in the uh, A&E department. And uh, at that juncture, uh, she went to the toilet and, and that things happened, unfortunately. So there's two separate issues here, isn't there? There's, there's the initial waiting time, which is very long, and then the issue that has really caught everyone's attention is, 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 is why there are not better place, um, procedures in, in place in public hospitals. To they, they, The hospital authority claims the toilets are cleaned seven times a day, but no, nobody found her for, what was it, four hours? Yeah, uh, yeah it seems that uh, her name was called um, for a few times and for uh, several hours and uh, no response. And at that juncture, I think uh, the, the hospital staff should have uh, at least give her a phone call and if no response and try to find her. But, but I, can, I can imagine that the, the A&E is a very crowded and, and busy place. And uh, I wonder if uh, staff members didn't really um, take the, uh, the staff to, to try to locate her. Because, as you can imagine, um, patients waiting, either resting, sleeping, or going around to, 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 to get something to eat, go to the toilet, and it's quite difficult for, for the, uh, the, the staff, medical staff to, to locate uh, these people. So there's the issue of whether the medical staff should have done more. There's also the issue of sort of the, um, the facility. I mean, they don't have panic alarms in the toilets. In, now they say they're going to install them, aren't they? They don't have panic alarms. They don't have motion sensors, the sort of things that uh, could have detected someone slumped in a toilet for a long period of time. Yes. Uh, the, the danger of this kind of um, toilet, for, especially for a disabled person, is that uh, you, you, you go alone and no one else uh, knows you are inside. And when the door is closed, locked, and no one else uh, can, can get in, there is somewhere that uh, people can easily overlook, uh, especially when they try to uh, locate you. So, so I understand the HA is, is considering uh, a deploying device to detect people uh, 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 falling on the floor and no, no uh, 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 motion that the alarm will be given. Right. They're also saying that they will uh, step up inspection of toilets and, and also uh, have staff patrolling the A&E department. Um, let's go back to Dr. Lee. Do you think these measures are enough? I mean, you just said uh, you, you, you want the government to do something about it. Yes, uh, because uh, the situation is uh, a little bit chaotic in the past few weeks. Uh, the number of patients in, uh, going to A&E now is uh, increasing. Uh, sharply after the public holiday and uh, we can see a lot of cases of fever coming to our department. So uh, I'm thinking about whether it is uh, a, an appropriate time to channel out some of these patients to other uh, departments like uh, we had uh, just after the COVID uh, before we have the fever clinic uh, in several uh, destinations. Uh, that means that there's a, uh, some destination clinic for people here who have fever. They can uh, channel out to uh, other places so that uh, some of the patients can get their medical attention as quickly as possible. 
and uh, because uh, other medical uh, cases uh, we have to see, uh, including the heart attack, uh, the stroke, and uh, things like that, uh, are still stuck in the A&D department. Sometimes you have to do the resuscitation. As Alice had mentioned, the patient is uh, categorized as a category uh, four patient, which means uh, probably she has to be waiting there for uh, at least uh, four to eight hours to see a doctor. This is uh, obviously uh, not satisfactory. All right, but but the number of COVID cases, are, are, I mean, it's been going up as well, hasn't it? Dr. Lee, so is it the right time to, to channel our patients to other departments? Yeah, because uh, just as I, I mentioned, uh, there are increasing number of cases uh, having flu and also increasing cases uh, having uh, COVID-19 uh, in the past few days. So uh, I think uh, the government should think about uh, whether it is appropriate to do uh, more to channel out some of these uh, fever cases. Uh, as they are, uh, you know, uh, they come to our department and then they got triage at the triage station by, uh, seen by a nurse. And then the, they will be uh, taking the blood pressure, the pulse, and also the oxygen saturation measure. Uh, if their vital signs are normal, then probably this patient will be uh, categorized as category four or five. That means they have to be waiting for a long time. Usually, if uh, if, uh, if the patient uh, are categorized, uh, say uh, number three, uh, then they will be seen. Uh, they will be seen uh, very quickly. Uh, we have uh, a target time to see them uh, within, uh, say, 15 to uh, 20 minutes if they are categorized uh, into category uh, three. So uh, these uh, the urgent cases we do uh, much more. Uh, as I said, uh, some of them may need uh, admission to the hospital. So we will uh, do vital sign checking for this patient uh, very uh, frequently, uh, around uh, one half an hour or one one hour. Uh, we take the blood pressure and do the pulse checking for this uh, waiting uh, for admission patient. I mean the urgent cases. <laughs> but for the non-urgent cases, they will be waiting for a long time. After they saw the doctor, uh, or already it is uh, four to eight hours. Uh, four to eight hours, and then after seeing the doctor, they may have to wait for X-ray examination. They may have to wait for uh, doing an electrocardiogram. They may have to wait for blood taking. So the, that means more and more people are stuck in the A and E department. Now, just now, you referred to yeah. non-urgent case. Um, officially, uh, we were saying this woman's categorized as semi-urgent. You're saying semi-urgent basically means non-urgent, right? Yes, because category four and category five, if you read on the apps from the HA, the waiting time there, they uh, deliver to the patient. Usually, it means it, it will be the category four and five cases. These are non-urgent cases. And then they they are all stuck in yes. our department and waiting, waiting, and waiting. All right, Mr. Lam, what do you think of that suggestion? I mean, should some uh, uh, patients be channeled out uh, to other departments? Would would that help? Yes, that would definitely help. But the the, the, the ironic thing is uh, that woman uh, went to the the, the A&E department at midnight because uh, there's nowhere else she could go. 
uh, well, she can go to uh, certain uh, private hospitals which provide AME uh, services. However, it's midnight and uh, she cannot possibly go somewhere else. Uh, so if, if there are some other uh, facility provided by HA which can provide a non-urgent uh, medical service, she, she would definitely go there. Uh, but but uh, the problem here is that uh, she has been waiting for a long time. She managed to see a doctor and it was already daytime. It was already daytime. And, and uh, uh, she could be, um, um, you know, referred to other uh, clinics for, for further uh, examination. However, she paid the fees. She's been waiting for so long and she has seen the doctor. And yet she has to wait for a further time for examination. So, so I think that the doctors or hospital will have to think about whether in situation, a situation when, when A&E is busy, that you should uh, refer or send the patient to other facility when, when you know, it's daytime, everywhere else uh, are open. But the uh, situation this woman faced, particularly situation, very difficult to find a solution, right? As you were saying, when she arrived at the A&E department, it's the middle of the night yeah. and she won't be able to find a private doctor then. Yes. All, all right. There's no way that you can refer uh, the woman to, to elsewhere. All right. Uh, Mr. Lam, I know you need to rush off soon. And just uh, one final question before you go. Um, yes. How much of a difference do you think uh, the arrival of uh, dozens of uh, medical workers from Guangdong under the uh, GBA Healthcare Talents Exchange Program will uh, actually yes. make, I mean, in terms of the uh, waiting time at public hospitals? Well, I, I yeah, I, of course, I, I welcome um, um, uh, help from, from the mainland uh, to alleviate the uh, shortage of uh, staff in Hong Kong, especially nurses. So I, I, I was told that uh, those nurses from the mainland are well-trained, experienced, and they should be able to um, um, you know, um, uh, get the job done uh, very quickly. So I, I think after a few weeks' time that uh, they are able to uh, adopt the system in Hong Kong, that uh, they should be uh, provide a quality service to, to patients in, in Hong Kong. All right, Mr. Lam, thanks again for joining us this morning. That's uh, Alex Lam, Chairman of Hong Kong Patients Voices. And uh, we're now also joined on the line by Medical and Health Services uh, lawmaker, Dr. David Lam. Good morning, Dr. Lam. Good morning. Thanks for joining us on the program. Um, just now we were talking about uh, me- uh, some of the measures announced by the hospital authority to ensure patient safety while waiting at public hospitals, uh, for example, stepping up surveillance of uh, toilets and waiting areas and uh, the possible use of tracking technology. And uh, our guests just now, Dr. Lee and also Mr. Lam, they also talked about the possible uh, channeling out of patients to other departments. Um, what's your view of all these uh, these measures well, most of these measures are technically feasible, but sometimes we just don't have those technology at the moment. I think Dr. Lee works in an uh, emergency department, so he knows well with first-hand information. Uh, I think we still remember some years ago, there has been a pilot project of stationing um, family doctors or general practitioners in the next door of A&E's. Uh, but it didn't work out, so people just don't want to go across the street to see the GPs, daytime or nighttime. So eventually they scraped the, the, uh, the, the, the project and then they're left with what they are. Now, there are some problems with our emergency uh, medical system. First of all, it's heavily understaffed, and we all understand that. And secondly, the triage 
they do not send people away. They just uh, give priority. So category four, category five patients are really non-emergency patients and can be seen by their family doctors either the same day or even uh, after several hours if it happens in the night time. But still, the practice is not to send them away and not to advise them to see their general practitioners or the family doctors, but ask them to wait. And that could sometimes take hours. And we must understand that triage is not like you're seeing a patient making a full diagnosis. Triage is triage and something can go wrong with triage. So if you have too many people around going for, queuing up for the triage, some of them might have a serious illness and some of them might be relatively mild. So uh, with that number, the sheer number of patients, there has to be some problems when times go by. And you may have one or two cases who are really uh, should belong to a high category, but then you wrongly assign them to a lower category because it's just too many people around. So do you think that uh, might have happened in this case then? I do not know. I do not know. But one thing is that if we have a habit of, I mean, if people have a habit of, if it's not serious disease, then go and see the family doctor. And if the emergency department has the right of uh, not only uh, putting them low down in their priority, but actually saying, telling them, no, please, uh, you go and see your family doctor. This is not the place for you. Then we are left with less patients, which is a more manageable situation. Now, this is nothing new. It is new to Hong Kong. But I have been to Australia some years ago, and a friend had some very minor allergic rhinitis. And he went to the emergency room. I don't know how he gets, he managed to get to the emergency room. But anyway, he was there. And he was asked by the nurse to go away. Just take some medicine from the pharmacy or see your, fam- uh, your family doctor. So with that kind of measures, the number of patients waiting to see the emergency room is more manageable. Okay, so that has it's, been yeah, it's, something we have been talking about for years, but nothing happened. You say but it happens in other countries, but for Hong Kong, it would be a, f- a fairly radical change. You can imagine the public opposition to the idea that um, if you ter- turn up in an A&E department, you, you might actually be sent away. It would be a, a, a major mind might uh, need a new, new mind, mind paradigm to, to have that in Hong Kong, surely. Well, that's why we have to uh, put that together hand in hand with the development of primary health care. When everyone has his own family doctor, and for people really from the grassroots population, that is subsidized care, then why not go to your family doctor if that takes a short waiting time and he knows lots about your background history? Well, maybe the family doctor noticed in some of the background history that, hey, wait a minute, you could have some serious problem, although your symptoms are very mild. So I write you a note and you take that note to the emergency room. So that maybe it hastens, hastens up and put them, and, and the triage nurse, after seeing that note, would put her or him in a higher category because of the past history known to him, uh, known to the family doctor, but not to the triage nurse. And so what happens? Family, to, family medicine helps. What happens to patients like this? This woman is in, in the middle of the night. There's not going to be any family doctor open in the middle of the night. Well, in the middle of the night, it's a bit difficult. But if people have illnesses and they not see people who turns up in the middle of the night, they could have illnesses in the daytime. Okay, and if those people uh, go and see the doctor earlier in the daytime, the family doctor in the daytime, they could have it treated earlier, and. Sometimes people feel sick after dinner time, and that is a problem. But our general practitioners usually open their clinic until about nine, eight or nine p.m. in the evening, so pretty late in the evening. 
so I hope the usage of family doctor increases. And if that helps, at least in the daytime or towards the evening, that reduces the number of cases rushing to the emergency room, and that makes everything more manageable in the emergency room. So leaving the resources to the really necessary people. But of course, there are always possibilities that the triage nurse misses something because it's just not the full uh, diagnostic um, uh, evaluation. That's why sometimes family doctors help by giving you a history, hey, something is wrong. You have such and such, such and such background. Better, I write you a note, they go and see your emergency doctor. All right. So in that way, I think it helps. Okay, Dr. Lee, what's yeah. your view on that? I mean, do you, do you see this, uh, do you share uh, Dr. Lam's view that there's some problems with the triage system and uh, that maybe some patients uh, with less serious symptoms uh, should be sent away? No, um, I totally agree with uh, David's uh, comments. Because uh, in, I remember in the last last week, I saw a patient with, uh, who uh, he's a gentleman who uh, who is categorized uh, category four, and then he has been waiting uh, on a, uh, a stretcher for a long time. So I, when I go and see him, and then uh, he was complaining of dizziness, and then uh, when I further asked question on him, he said he has a persistent headache. So I do a CT brain for the, this patient, and then I find out that uh, he has a intracranial hemorrhage. So uh, it is uh, basically difficult to make a quick decision whether this case is an urgent or an urgent case, because basing on simple things uh, like the vital signs is not always reliable. Uh, I remember that gentleman having a, a hemorrhage uh, in the brain. Uh, his vital signs are all normal, just complaining of dizziness. So this is a very difficult situation. In a short period, you know, uh, at the triage station, the nurse can only see the patient for just, say, five minutes, measuring the blood pressure, asking what is your problem, and then just uh, throw in. The, uh, the record and then waiting for the doctor to see the patient. So this is one point. The other thing, uh, telling the patient to go away may be difficult at the night time. I'm thinking about whether we should increase the manpower of the accident emergency at night time uh, because uh, actually we are short of uh, medical staff at the night time. Uh, in the morning, say, we have uh, a number of doctors uh, with uh, some senior grade coming uh, to see the doctors, as uh, to see the patient at our department. But at night time, we only, in our department, we only have two doctors at night time. And then we only have a few nurses, just uh, maybe five or six nurses to, to run the whole department. So I don't think it is uh, satisfactory because many patients are still coming in uh, at night time. And then even the, uh, we have to do uh, more to clear out the patient left behind from the afternoon uh, session. So uh, it is really a difficult situation. I'm, I'm thinking whether HA should increase the manpower uh, of the medical staff there at night time and also uh, invite more senior staff to stay at night time. Presumably night shifts are, I mean, people do them, but they're less popular than day shifts. You're already facing uh, sort of a, a loss of manpower in the HA. If you putting everybody on more night shifts, maybe you'll accelerate the, the, the numbers who are leaving. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so uh, 
as Alex has mentioned, we welcome uh, all sorts of uh, resources we have, uh, including the mainland uh, medical staff and nursing staff. We all welcome them to come because we we really short of uh, people to run the department. But uh, I heard that uh, the new staff coming from mainland just are assigned to do jobs in the medical ward. Uh, I mean, the, in the geriatric ward to see the elderly patient. So nobody is coming to the SD emergency department at, the, at this juncture. So oh, we, all right, we are uh, still facing a, a big problem. All right, Dr. Lee, let's uh, continue talking about uh, the GBA Health Talent Exchange program after the news, uh, because we have to take a quick break. Um, and uh, if you want to ask questions for, to our guests or just share your views on today's topics, you can leave a message on our Facebook page, Backchat on RTHK Radio 3. Email us at backchat at rthk.hk or give us a call on 233-88266. And uh, here's a quick look at the weather, mainly cloudy with showers and a few squally thunderstorms. The top temperature will be around 27 degrees, winds moderate southerlies. At the moment, it's 24 degrees, relative humidity 95%. It's now 9.30. With a new summary, here's Todd Harding. HSBC has reached out to shareholders, urging them to vote down a proposal by its largest stakeholder, the Chinese insurer Ping An, to split the business. Ping An ramped up the pressure on HSBC on Tuesday with a rare public statement claiming the bank was lagging behind its international peers and touting a breakup strategy. In response, HSBC wrote to shareholders yesterday saying the board advises they vote against Ping An's proposal at the bank's annual general meeting on May the 5th. Up to 80 people have been killed and more than 100 injured in Yemen in a stampede in the capital Sana'a during a charity distribution for Ramadan. Extreme poverty is widespread in Yemen after years of warfare between the Houthis and the recognised Yemeni government. And residents have been fleeing fighting in the Sudanese capital Khartoum, fearful about dwindling food supplies and the collapse of medical services. A new ceasefire attempt has failed for a second day, with witnesses reporting continued gunfire in the city. I'll have more news at 10 o'clock. Drainage repairs can be costly. The Building Drainage System Repair Subsidy Scheme run by the Government and the Urban Renewal Authority offers financial assistance of up to 80% of total drainage repair costs to owners of eligible buildings. The buildings must be aged 40 or above, with or without statutory orders related to common drains. Call 3188-1188 for details. I'm Dr. Edmund Lam. Seniors, the COVID-19 virus still exists in the community. As the elderly are at higher risk, for the sake of your health, don't take it lightly. Scientific data shows that those with stable health can receive COVID-19 vaccines. Take your elderly relatives to get the jab at community vaccination centers, vaccinated general outpatient clinics, elderly health centers, private clinics, or hospital COVID-19 vaccination stations. Welcome back. This is Back Chat on a Thursday morning with Danny Gittings and me, Janice Wong. Still with us on the program is Dr. Aaron Lee, an emergency ward doctor and medical and health services lawmaker, Dr. David Lam. Now, uh, Dr. Lee, just before the news, uh, you were talking about uh, medical workers from Guangdong. You said, uh, um, according to your your knowledge, you'll be assigned to a geriatric wards uh, to, to look at elderly patients. So, so are you saying that it won't really help relieve uh, pressure at emergency wards? 
Yes, because uh, uh, as I heard from the news, the nobody there is still nobody coming to the accident emergency department to help out. Yeah, so it is quite disappointing because uh, at the moment we are facing a lot of pressure, uh, not only the number of patients but also from the expectations of the public. I recall in uh, many years ago when uh, there was a patient uh, outside the hospital uh, in uh, uh, one of the public hospital uh, collapses, and then the son find the father collapsing on the street, and then he just run into the hospital and ask uh, for help, and then nobody cares to take the gentleman into the hospital uh, for uh, active resuscitation, and the patient die on the street. So uh, at that time, the public expectation is, oh, uh, whenever uh, you saw somebody collapse, you should help out as soon as possible. But uh, this time, the lady is uh, collapsing in the toilet inside the accident emergency department. So I'm thinking, uh, yeah, uh, what's wrong? Uh, what can we do more to prevent uh, this tragedy from happening, happening and again and again? But this Kelly's case is a bit different from that earlier one you mentioned. I mean, the earlier one you mentioned, uh, people saw the, the, the patient collapsing and didn't do anything about it. I, I think everybody agrees in this case that if the hospital staff had known that the woman had collapsed in the toilet, they would have done something about it. The problem was that they didn't know because they don't have the sort of they're not not checking regularly enough, or they don't have panic alarms and so on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree. Uh, maybe not only the panic alarm. Maybe how about uh, we have so many new technology? How about giving them a wristband that can measure mm. the pressure or uh, doing some checking if the patient do collapse and then lost the pulse, and then uh, there may be an alarm to uh, notify the nursing staff, oh, somebody has a big problem, so you have to find this patient as soon as possible. That, that may help uh, also. Okay. Uh, and how about um, overseas doctors who are being hired? Oh, we hear that uh, 20 doctors have been hired from the uh, uh, UK following the recent visit by the, the, the health secretary uh, or the hospital authority. Um, presumably when they, they come to Hong Kong, they'll be put into work in work like accidents and emergency departments, so that will help a little bit. Yeah, hopefully it will help. But I heard from the news that some, uh, I don't know uh, what sort of specialty are these doctors uh, really. Because uh, if they would, they uh, choose to work in our department, then uh, most probably if they are specialists, they will be engaged in the emergency uh, medicine training. But uh, if they are fresh graduate, then uh, they have to, uh, I don't know whether they, choose to work in our department or not because uh it is uh <laughs> it is quite a busy department and yeah, even the local graduates sometimes refrain from joining the SNM emergency department i remember when i come back to the public hospital in the past i was uh doing a, a private practice but uh i just joined in the public hospital for a few years uh because uh my boss said oh we are running short of uh manpower. So please come back to help. So uh, I go into the emergency room again after uh, my graduation. My first job is in the emergency department. So uh, I'm wondering whether the fresh graduate or even the new doctors from uh, uh, overseas are willing to work in such a harsh uh, environment.
All right. I have a Facebook message here from Michael, and he says, Really? 20 medics from the UK and dozens of medical staff from Guangdong? I would be embarrassed to report that if I was one of the recruiters. What does medical staff even mean? And that, uh, that message is from Michael. Um, Mr. L- uh, Dr. Lam? So and we're talking about how useful this uh, GBA health, uh, Healthcare Talents Exchange program will be. Um, in your view, how helpful will it be? I mean, just now, um, Dr. Lee, he said that they will mainly be uh, for geriatric wards. If you look at the numbers, the shortfall of doctors in a hospital authority numbered in the hundreds and the shortfall for nurses numbered in the thousands. So, uh, well, maybe about 70 or 80 doctors and nurses coming to Hong Kong is a very small number compared to the shortfall if you look at it that way. But say if you are working in a department, say of anesthesia, where you originally have nine or nine specialists and now you have only about six because three has gone and now they're giving you two more, then it helps. So it depends whether your department has someone coming to assist. Uh, but overall, I think it's just not useful just to look at um, 80 doctors and nurses from the mainland and 20 doctors from the UK. We must take a more global view, um, and that is we have roughly 590 fresh graduates from Hong Kong every year. And we usually have roughly 40 to 80 uh, doctors passing the licensing examination and joining the service in Hong Kong every year. So that makes up to well over 600, and together with um, our doctors from mainland China and also from the UK, that adds up hopefully to almost uh, 700 in the next year or so. So that is the number we are looking at. But at the same time, the attrition rate is high in the past few years. So to retain talent is, again, something that the hospital authority has to put a lot of effort into it. It's just not useful just to look at the number from a particular area, but we must have must take a more global view. You say retain talent. What do you think about pay rises, promotion prospects, better working conditions? I, I, all of them, maybe, but I mean, which is the real priority? I did a survey late last year on the same issue, and almost all doctors and nurses mentioned that the workload in the hospital authority is overwhelming, and for many, that is a chief reason why they left in the first place. Now, that is not easy. So if you, uh, if someone from your department leaves, so those remaining who have more work per person, and that increases the intention to leave. So this is a vicious cycle yeah. we must stop. Otherwise, people just keep leaving, and then the department who has less and less doctors and nurses. That's why sometimes if you employ someone from abroad or from the mainland China, and they have a contract that they have to stay here for, say, three years, otherwise they have to go home, I mean, go back to England or mainland China, where they won't have a license here, then that is a bigger incentive to, for them to stay, uh, at least for those three years. So it is something we have, we may have to consider, we may have to, to do more so that at least some, or some portion of the department have a greater intention to stay behind. Now, but that is one thing. Another issue is about the, uh, the management of the hospital authority. Frontline doctors, if you ask Dr. Lee, he would, he would probably tell you how he feels about uh, the, man- the relationship between the management and the frontline. It is not always in a very good terms. And if people think that they are not well treated by the management, then they tend to leave. Well, Again, I'm not saying hospital authority is really a bad employer, but if that is an impression that you give to your employee, then there is a lot you have to do about it. 
Well, let, let's ask Dr. Lee. I mean, is there an issue with uh, how the management treats its staff in the hospital authority? Yeah, uh, it is really difficult for me to comment no, uh, whether, because I'm still under <laughs> employment of uh, HA. But uh, I agree with uh, Dr. Lam's comment. Uh, it is now time to somehow reform the management to see uh, whether there is anything wrong uh, inside, from inside out. And then uh, we have to do some drastic reform of the management of the hospitals. And uh, I, I believe that uh, besides the uh, uh, measure to recruit new blood from overseas, we have to look also for, at the local graduates, whether we have to retain them in the public uh, sector to help out uh, for the time being, because we are running short of people. In our department, uh, we, uh, I can tell you, uh, in the coming few months, we have one consultant uh, uh, immigrating to uh, UK. We have one senior, uh, two sen at least two senior doctors going to uh, live in uh, uh, UK, uh, and also one uh, young doctor immigrating to uh, US uh, in the field in the coming few months. So we are really running out of people. People are running out, not only from the public hospital, running out to other places. So uh, it is a difficult situation. If the local graduates, after uh, they, their training in the uh, medical school, they can help uh, in our public sector uh, for a longer time. This is what our health authority had, had been saying. Uh, they may extend their internship uh, year, number of years, and they may extend their contract to make them to compulsory stay in the public sector. And even the health uh, chief has said, oh, if uh, necessary, we may think we have to do some compulsory uh, uh, employment of uh, doctors, even from private sector in the public hospital to do something more drastical to retain the manpower here. And it's not really about, I mean, if they emigrate to the UK, the salaries in the UK will be lower than Hong Kong, so it's not really about money, right? Yeah, uh, because uh, of the whole atmosphere here, uh, uh, I, I can see after the COVID pandemic, many people are leaving. Uh, I don't know the reason why, uh, maybe you can tell me more, because I'm just engaged in the medical sector. But... Uh, I'm thinking uh, the, brain, the brain drain now we are having, uh, really in all, all sorts of professions, uh, the government has to do more. As our, uh, as our CEO of the government said, hey, we have to get more people coming. Uh, uh, this is an urgent need in every sector of Hong Kong. So uh, I think uh, the government has to put more effort into that. All right. I have uh, two more e emails here from our listener. One of them is from Brett. He said, uh, he says, when, when I've gone to a public hospital's A&E over nearly four decades now, there has been no waiting, for example, after serious road traffic accidents, after losing consciousness, after an injection resulting resulted in my head bouncing off the floor in my GP's surgery. And uh, those times I arrived at A&E conscious, I have seen it is always crowded, my impression is that most folks go there for reasons that are neither the result of accidents or are emergencies. 
this uh, the mention this morning of people going to A&E because they have a fever or the flu seems to me to be perhaps a symptom of the root disease, which is the need to see a doctor for seemingly absolutely every single thing. And uh, that message is from Brett. I have another one. Uh, but this listener didn't leave her name. Um, it says, uh, after tragedies, Hong Kong is so fast to offer up remedies, but are these actually carried out? Hong Kong's problem with accountability impacts us tremendously, sadly. And uh, those are the emails from our listeners. Um, Dr. Lam, I just want to go back uh, to to uh, some of the measures that were suggested on this program where we talked about, um, I mean, earlier you talked about how there needs to be a change in the triage system and uh, people need to rely more on family doctors. But uh, your suggestion it actually takes time for people to change their mindset. Um, but for now, I mean, as a short-term measure, what do you think uh, is the most uh, effective measure to prevent uh, another tragedy from happening? Now, I heard early on that other colleagues mentioned about technology and that is certainly something we can look at. Uh, we have wearable devices that measure your blood pressure pulse and your your uh, oxygen saturation. But how that fits into the emergency department is something for the authority to think about. Do you really have enough manpower to monitor uh, the basically hundreds of extra patients outside, waiting outside before they see a doctor? And how technology might be able to assist in uh, triaging and also monitoring those people is another matter. We would. The technology is, is there, it's possible, but whether we can use it is another matter. So technology is one thing. And another thing is I would suggest seriously that people go to emergency department for illnesses if possible, if possible, uh, get a family member or a friend with you. So at least there's someone to look after you in case things happen. Uh, or at least they can raise their hand, raise the alarm that my friend or my mother uh, went to the toilet for it's now 10 minutes. She hasn't come out yet. Can the nurse or other people help to find out what happens inside? So those are the things we can do immediately. Um, yeah. Yeah. Okay. And then we give the last word to uh, Dr. Aaron Lee, who's working in an accident and emergency department. So what, what advice would you give to uh, patients coming to an accident and emergency department? Yes, uh, I agree totally with uh, David. Yes, ask somebody to accompany you is one of the way. I remember uh, uh, we have advised people coming to uh, see the accident management department during the COVID-19 outbreak. Uh, one of them is to uh, ask a relative to accompany you because nobody may have time to look after you when you stay here for a long time. You bring enough food, you bring enough drink so that you don't have to leave the department so that we can call and then you can come in quick, as quickly as possible in our department. This is some of the ways to prevent tragedy from happening. All right, uh, Dr. Lee, we'll have to leave it here for now. Thanks again for joining us this morning. That's uh, Dr. Aaron Lee, an emergency ward doctor. Many thanks also to health services lawmaker, Dr. David Lam. It's now 9.47 and in a moment, we'll find out more about a rare partial eclipse that's due to take place in a few hours' time. 95 years of public service broadcasting. Stay tuned with Hong Kong. Hi, I'm Michael Teen, Roundtable Legislator. I want to congratulate RTHK on its uh, 95th birthday. And I've always been a fan of RTHK. I think over the years they've done a very good job balancing the needs of citizens 
to have transparency and factual news. So I congratulate them, and I believe that they will continue to do the same. Ninety-five years of public service broadcasting. Stay tuned with Hong Kong. You're listening to Backchat. Call us on two double three double eight two double six and have your say. A rare partial solar eclipse will take place at around lunchtime today, but uh, we probably won't be able to see much of it in Hong Kong. To tell us more about this astronomical event, we're now joined on the line by Professor Quentin Parker, the director of the University of Hong Kong Space Research Laboratory. Good morning, Professor Parker. Good morning. Thanks for joining us on the program. So, um, can you first tell us why this partial eclipse is uh, so rare? Well, all, all solar eclipses are quite rare, um, even partial ones, and it's to do uh, with the fact that the moon is not orbiting the Earth at its equator in the same plane as the orbit of the Earth around the sun, but it's inclined by about five degrees to that, which means that uh, the occasions when the moon gets directly between the sun and the Earth uh, to a point on the Earth is, is quite rare because of that. Um, but the, the eclipse that we have today uh, in Hong Kong, uh, notwithstanding the weather, I'm looking out of my window and it's raining, it's, it's, um, uh, it's incredibly, it's only a very partial one. In fact, um, the moon only just touches, uh, in, in terms of projector, projection, it, it looks like the moon only goes very partially over part of the disk of the sun uh, for about 42 minutes. And it starts at uh, just after midday today, as seen from Hong Kong. But I'm more excited about all my colleagues in Australia. I'm Australian, and they're seeing a total eclipse uh, from um, uh, Western Australia later on today. And so uh, that's when you have a path of totality, where the sun um, is obscured completely by the moon, uh, and you get a, a full a total eclipse of the sun. Now, it's one of those interesting... Um, coincidences in our solar system that the, the, the projected disk of the moon on the sky and the projected disk of the sun are almost exactly the same size. So if our moon was a little bit smaller or further away, uh, then uh, the eclipses that we did see would not be anything like as impressive as we see them. It's just that the, the actual physical, ang the angular size of the moon on the sky and the sun on the sky are almost identical. So it's, uh, it's quite a coincidence that we have that in our solar system, which is why our eclipses are so wonderful to behold. But right. to, to put it simply, we're unlucky in Hong Kong, right? They're, they're, yeah. Austra Australians are going to get a full eclipse. We're going to get 2 or something. Yeah, we're but. only going to get a very partial. In fact, it's a, in fact, you probably wouldn't even be hard to see because only a tiny part of the sun's disk is obscured by the moon's uh, projected disk as well. Uh, there's a good website uh, that you can see uh, everything and how it happens that's available. It's called timeanddate.com slash eclipse slash in slash Hong Kong. And, and you can see an animation of the eclipse. You can see the path of the eclipse across the Earth's surface, etc. So that gives everybody, if you're interested, uh, f the full description of what's going on. But from Hong Kong, uh, notwithstanding the terrible weather, people will see a very tiny partial eclipse for about 42 minutes. And they'll probably so you mustn't look at the sun uh, with your naked eye. You must make sure you use uh, proper protective uh, goggles and glasses, etc. So to really see anything from Hong Kong today, you will really need a telescope, right? Well, no, you don't need a telescope at all. Um, you can just have um, even eclipse glasses, uh, which are very dark, 
filters on, you know, because looking at the sun with the naked eye um, is very dangerous. You can go blind. Of course, it's incredibly bright depending on the altitude of the sun above the horizon. You know, when the sun's setting or rising, you can actually look at the sun as a as a glowing orange orb. But when it's a above a few uh, degrees above the horizon, it gets bright very quickly because the amount of atmosphere that the sun's rays go through is much less as well as pollution, so it becomes very bright, you can't look at it. So you have to use special uh, eclipse glasses with a very dark filters that only let a tiny fraction of the light through, and with that you can see the partial eclipse. And of course, the bigger the partial eclipse getting to totality, uh, the less filters you actually need. So I, I was in a, I saw a total eclipse of the sun in, in Queensland in Australia uh, more than 10 years ago now, and when it's total, you can just look at it with the naked eye. When right. it's completely eclipsed, and it only lasts for about two or three minutes, typically. Uh, but you can look at it with a naked eye. But apart from that, you should use um, special uh, glasses or even binoculars with very, very dark filters on the front to protect your eyes. But you don't need to use a telescope. But I don't think we're going to need those kind of things in this kind of weather today. I mean, you say, <laughs> Absolutely. You know, you're... <laughs> Unfortunately, you're right. No. Uh, they're looking at the observatory forecast. There's a 60 to 80 percent chance of rain at lunchtime. So, uh, but anyway, if you are able to see anything, what's this about? The, the suggestion that you, you're, you're more likely to see more better in Kowloon East or the eastern part of Hong Kong Island. What's that about? Oh, um, well, it, the, the the path of an eclipse is quite narrow across. across total eclipse is, is quite narrow, maybe about um, you know 40 or so kilometres wide. Sometimes where you can see totality, and outside of that, you only see a partial eclipse. And the further away from the mid-totality line you are, the less of the eclipse you see. By the time you get to Hong Kong, you know, where we're thousands of kilometers away from totality, the region of to the path of totality goes across the Earth. And so we only see a very tiny part of the sun's disk occluded by the moon. Now, um, at other times, we might be lucky and we'll see a total eclipse of the sun. It just depends on, on, on the orbits and the timings of things. And these can be predicted now. And it's like we're going to coming up to a remarkable period of time in Australia where there's going to be several eclip eclipses in the next few years of, of the sun. It's just one of those things. It's the way the orbits and inclinations of the orbit of the moon compared to the Earth and the, and the Earth around the sun. And, you know, the sun's orbit, sorry, the Earth's orbit around the sun is not exactly a perfect circle. So sometimes uh, we're a bit closer and a bit further away from from the sun and same with the moon the moon's orbit around the earth isn't a, a perfect circle and it's inclined uh, um, to the orbit of the earth around the sun by about five degrees so this adds the complexity and adds the rarity that we see to a total eclipse and how often they occur but it's all predictable we all know the orbits very well now we have computers to work all these things out and tell us exactly when it's going to be eclipse and where it's going to be how long it's going to last what the uh, time of totality will be, uh, that is, you know, what the path it will take across the Earth's surface, etc. Now, this eclipse is interesting because it's a hybrid eclipse. And it's a hybrid eclipse because of the way it occurs on the Earth's surface is actually towards the south, uh, which means that the curvature of the Earth has an impact on what we see as the eclipse unfolds. And you go from a total eclipse and part of the path, of the path to an annual, annual eclipse over the other. Now, an annular eclipse is when... Uh, the moon is in front of the sun completely, but um, due to the slightly different distances and the curvatures, you actually see a ring around the moon uh, of, the, of the sun. 
So it's all quite complicated, actually, in, in detail, but it's absolutely fascinating and beautiful to see in practice. But still, uh, the, on the specific point, the, the Space Museum's advice is that um, the eclipse's magnitude and duration will be larger and longer in the city's southeastern region, and to better off view it, if you can see anything at all, in Kowloon East and the eastern part yeah. of Hong Kong Island. Yeah, we're what? talking, you know, fractions of a minute difference. So <laughs> you wouldn't travel, you know, wouldn't travel to Taipei. It's not a big just deal wherever we are. Um, you know, we're right at the edge of it, really, right at the edge of anything. I mean, if you look at the, the, the on, on that website I mentioned, if you look at the, the uh, graphic um, of the eclipse happening, uh, you see the moon moving across, um, you know, the, the, the southwest of the sun, and, 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 the, yeah, and, and it's just very gently touched, as it were, the projected disk of the moon touches a projected disk of the sun uh, at its western side, uh, for a total of about 42 minutes from from the best part of Hong Kong. Now, if you move to a different part of Hong Kong, that might be slightly uh, less time, and you might be slightly less of the disk, including the sun. But we're talking about very small amounts now because we're not actually seeing very much at all. I mean, compared to if you're even in the uh, you know the Philippines, you'd have a, a much longer and better eclipse with more of the disks of the sun occluded by the moon. And by the time you get onto the centre of the eclipse in, in Western Australia, you see the whole thing eclipsed. The moon goes right in front of the sun. So it really does depend on where you are on the surface of the Earth uh, as the eclipse unfolds and how much of the, of the sun's disk gets occluded by the moon. Right. And uh, will there be another eclipse this year? Uh, not this year, no, not in Hong Kong. Um, um, I can find out for you. I didn't uh, check the next one in Hong Kong, but I don't think it's for a few years. All right. What about other astronomical events? <laughs> well, there's always astronomical events happening everywhere. I mean, the James Webb Space Telescope is coming out with incredible uh, discoveries nearly every day, you know, and uh, we're launching um, new, new space uh, missions uh, to do um, deep space exploration uh, in short order. You know, we've got the Chinese uh, thinking of setting up a moon base very shortly. The, the Chinese moon uh, the space station is completed now in its original configuration and all sorts of exciting things are happening and discoveries are being made in the astronomical field nearly every day. I mean, if you look at the news feeds, you often get an exciting uh, discovery coming out every, every, every few days or every week or so. So um, plenty happening. I mean, just recently we had a whole series of alignments of the planets in the ecliptic up in the night sky. Uh, you know, the major planets all lined up very close together, uh, and that was quite a sight. So, so, yes, I mean, there's always something exciting going on in, in our field, and, um, you know, just a question of, you know, keeping your eyes and ears open for when these things occur. Professor Parker, you, you're very excited about this um, solar eclipse today. Will, will you and your students be going out in the rain to try and see it? Say again, sorry? Will you and your students be going out in the rain to try and see the solar eclipse today? Um, well, we will go out around uh, 12.34, which is when it starts, and we'll have a look at where the sun is, because I don't think we'll be able to see it because of the cloud. But if by some miracle there is a, uh, a break in the clouds we can we can see, I will certainly have a look. I mean, I've seen several partial eclipses in my lifetime, and I've seen one totality. I mean, there are pundits out there that follow these things around the world all the time and spend vast amounts of time and money seeing every single eclipse they can see in uh their lifetimes. And I have a group of friends who are currently in uh, northwestern Australia right now All right, waiting Professor Parker. to see the total eclipse. All right, I'm afraid we have to leave it here for now. Thanks again for joining us this morning. That's uh, Professor Quinton Parker, the director of the University of Hong Kong Space Research Laboratory. Many thanks also to you who commented or emailed us today and to our producer, Angie Mann. I'll be back with another edition of Back Chat tomorrow with Danny Gittings.